Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Say the word of God aloud together with me. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Would you put your hand on your heart this morning? Lord, we want to receive all that you have prepared for us. We open ourselves up as followers of you again. We say you have good things coming ahead for us. We have good days on the earth and we have eternity waiting. We will walk with you. We will dance with you on streets that are golden. We will be with you forevermore all because of what you did on this day that we celebrate. And so we open up our hearts and we say, remind us again, speak into our hearts again, plan eternity deep in there again, and let it be the anchor for our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I want to share with you the seven final statements that Jesus made on the earth, on the cross, actually. And uh, it's very interesting. We all kind of know this, and this is a well, really a well-honed business practice about uh, when you're sharing something, when you're speaking something, when you're standing up to lead something, the very last words that you say are the most important ones. Those are the ones that you want to leave with people. Well, Jesus was uh, in a very unusual situation. He wasn't leading anybody at that point. He was dying. And so those seven statements weren't designed for a business meeting, but they were designed to do something really incredible, and that was to reveal to us who he was and what was really important to him. So this morning, I want to kind of just take all seven of those statements and peek at them again and uh, maybe look at them in a way that we haven't seen before or maybe that you haven't heard before. But this is what I know. Jesus came, first of all, it says that he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Yeah, and that included hell and death. But he also came for this. I, I look at his life and I read in the Gospels, over and over and over again, there is one central theme relationship with Jesus. This God-man is a relational being. And he, he proved that over and over and over and over again. You know, it's such a miracle that he came as a human, but within that humanness, he really honed the most important things, didn't he? He honed right in on them, right to the center of them. And it was all about relationship to him. Uh, we see it in how he dealt with his disciples not just the 12, but the 70, and then the others that followed him, how he took care of them, he fed them. It's Everything's designed around what we know 
is human relationship. The phrases are, you know, held dear by all of us. You've probably either looked at a message online regarding this or uh, maybe you've heard another teaching. Very dear to the followers of Jesus. And I think it's because they do offer us a glimpse into his sufferings and what he had to do to accomplish redemption. And uh, these words that are recorded, you know, in the Gospels for us, and it's really interesting, but they actually are. They do have a chronological order to them. And uh, from the time of his crucifixion until actually he, he died there on the cross, I think what's most important is you see the tension between his divinity being very, very God and his humanity being very, very me, you, being like us. We see that. We see the, the deep tension there. So this is the first statement that's recorded in the gospel, and I love this. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's not how I would have said that. In my humanity, it might have come out something like this. Don't like what they're really doing here. And I think they're a bunch of stinkers, and, well, I'm pretty sure they're out to get me. Uh, but, God, I want to obey you, so, uh, yeah, forgive them, even though they do know what they're doing. Not Jesus. Isn't this amazing? We, we see the intent of the Sanhedrin. We see the intent of the people. We see the intent of Roman soldiers. Like, when they were beating him, that had some pretty hard intent behind it, didn't it? It wasn't a gentle, uh, oh, here, let me straighten things out. You know, they beat him half to death. So you look at, at the intent and you go, what? But Jesus gets on the cross. This is so incredible about how he feels towards you and I. Uh, quite honestly, if we get, you know... This is New Day, so you have to put up with this. We get very raw in here. Most of the time when we sin, we know what we're doing. Yes? Occasionally, I shoot my mouth off to somebody and I didn't know it was going to come out. And you could say, well, he didn't mean to do that. It was just Lloyd being Lloyd. Uh, but most of the time when we're doing that, we know what we're doing. Even if it's just a yell at the lady at McDonald's because she didn't give you egg on your sausage McMuffin. Guess what happened this morning? <laughs> but you see, that's not the relational God that we serve. Jesus, in the seriousness of this, hanging on the cross, looks at you and says, Father... Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And in actuality, if we could really see what our sin had done, if we could really go to the place of the cross again and understand that even the smallest sin had the penalty of death, if we could really see that and the very fact of what it did accomplish, what our intention accomplished, then this statement becomes huge. Because he's lifting the burden of guilt 
as he says it. It is his mercy, his loving kindness in which he doesn't even charge to your intent the sin. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand this. They cannot comprehend it, but I do. I'll take it. And this is what I say to you, God, my God. I will bear it. Forgive them. Isn't that incredible? That's just stunning to me. It's, it, just, it just makes me just want to go, oh, thank you, God. Look at this next one. Another relational statement. This story we, we know pretty well. It's with the uh, two criminals hanging on the cross with him. They both were deserving of what they were going to get. And uh, it's so interesting as one of them sort of mocked him and rebuked him, you know. If you're the Christ, <laughs> straighten this mess out and come down, you know. Get yourself out of this. And the other criminal rebukes him and recognizes Jesus for who he is. And he actually expresses, if you will, a form of faith, understanding I'm getting what I deserve, but this guy didn't do anything wrong. And he even calls him Lord. No one calls Jesus Lord but by the Spirit of God. That meant on the cross, now he's hanging on the cross there too. On the cross, he recognizes who Jesus is. And expresses faith in him as a savior. But that's not the most stunning thing. The most stunning thing is this. That God's grace is poured out. And instead of saying, yeah, you see well. Or giving him some religious statements. He says, oh, I'm telling you something. You will be with me today in paradise. You will be with me. Right? You will be in me. You call me Lord, I will never turn away. I will pay for it right here. As you die, I will die with you. Isn't this incredible? This is, you will be with me. You see, this is what eternity really is. We all have an idea of heaven. Um, I read an incredible book lately, just recently, that's called Imagine Heaven. And it goes through a, a lot of research over people's near-death experiences and what they found as they went to heaven. Is it just a subjective experience or is it accurate and real? I don't know. But this is what I know about eternal life. That eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And when that is our portion, you will be with me. But this isn't just for heaven. I think he was saying something for every one of us believers that followed from that point in time right up until now. I will be with you. And you will be with me. In John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you that you will be with me. What an incredible statement. Believe it or not, this one, a lot of people go, oh, that's not that important. This is huge. This is about Jesus looking down, and he sees his mom. And he sees the disciple that loved him. 
the youngest among them. You know, some theologians think John, sorry, may have been as young as 16 because of the time frames and the age in which he died. He's just a teenager, you guys. He's watching his Messiah die. And he's the man that stands beside the Messiah's mother. Right at that point in time. Here's another relational thing. Jesus looks down and sees it and realizes how important family is. He sees how deeply important it is to humans because they were created in his image that we are relationally connected. And he actually distributes, if you will, for the first time in human history, the spirit of adoption. He looks down at his mother Mary and looks at that young man standing beside him. He says, behold your son, behold your mother. And he releases that ability for all of us to be deeply knit into that kind of relationship. This is the same spirit of adoption that it speaks of in Romans 8 when it says that we cry out, Abba, Father, and that we are adopted as sons and daughters into God. I so deeply, deeply get affected by this. Um, maybe it's the years of, that, I, that I did youth ministry. I don't know. I never really wanted to grow up and be a real pastor. Um, I really liked hanging out with young people, still do today. And not that you older people aren't sweet. But this is a profound thing. That God would so care about relationship that he would look at an older woman and a young man and say, I want you to be knit for the rest of your lives. It's amazing. Let's look at the next one. Jesus cries out to his father. So Matthew 27 verse 46 says this. I'll try to do the Greek, okay? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ele, Ele, lama sabachthani. He didn't say it quietly. He cried out with anguish. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's two theological points that we see here. We see the cry of an anguished man that feels abandoned and feels far away and wonders where God is. Yes? Have you ever experienced that? In your lifetime, in your faith walk with Jesus, have you ever wondered, God, where are you? I can't hear you. I can't see you. I can't, God, and... God, whisper, God, have somebody come up and say something to me. I think it's that. It's definitely the darkest hour of his suffering. I'm sure he had doubts, but I think it's also very interesting that he quotes Psalm 22 here. Psalm 22 is probably one of the most profound messianic psalms that are written. 
because it goes through the crucifixion and the deep purposeful resurrection. And though Jesus only quotes the first few lines from this psalm, and by the way, that was a very common practice among Jewish teachers, among rabbis, that when you were going to quote something, you would just do the beginning quote and everybody would know because he didn't have a book to carry around. You know, there wasn't, oh, here, let's turn to page, let's look at Psalm 22 and everybody gets there. They didn't have that. So as they were speaking and sharing, they would begin the first few verses of a psalm and everybody else sitting in the congregation would start nodding their heads and they knew the whole psalm and understood it. I think Jesus is doing that also here. Have you read the last part of Psalm 22? Would you like me to read it to you? And remember, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen to this, verse 24. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out to him, he heard. God didn't go away. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. <sighs> Amazing. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. He starts speaking of a resurrected Christ. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, you and I. That he has done this. Did the father forsake Jesus? Yeah. For a brief moment, maybe? I don't know. But I do know this, that the end of this psalm is way better than the start, but we needed the start. And the end of this psalm is about a resurrected God who all the nations of the earth will bow down to and who will deliver us from death into life. And I think that's absolutely incredible. As we go to the next one, I want the ushers to come forward, and they're going to distribute. Yeah, and the worship team can come up with me. And they're going to distribute communion elements to you. If When you receive the elements, we're not going to pray over them yet. You just hold them. I want you to hold them through these last three statements as you get them. So you'll, you'll take the element and the bread and the cup of the wine and just hold them till the end.
the next statement, the fifth statement that he makes is this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Well, Lloyd, what does this really mean? It's another relational issue. He didn't feed or take care of himself until everything was done. He did that for you and I. I imagine he was thirsty the whole time. But the drink that they were going to give him was mixed with medicine. You guys don't have to wait on me. You just start distributing it. What they were trying to give him was stuff that would deaden the pain. It takes a little while for what they had. It wasn't like an, you know, a shot that we get today to relieve the pain. It would take a while, but they had it there. They, I don't know, somehow, with a little bit of mercy, would give it to people hanging on a cross. Jesus didn't take it then. He wouldn't take any painkiller so that he could absorb your pain. He didn't do it till he knew it was finished. Wouldn't touch a thing. Even as he was thirsty, he's he's also quoting another messianic psalm, Psalm 69. And I think he's not just expressing the thirst that he had in his humanness, but I think he was expressing a thirst for you and I, a thirst for righteousness, and he understood it. We get it from the very next two things he says, and you know, it's taken me a little while to preach through it, but these didn't happen like, okay, he said this, and then, oh, about three and a half minutes later, then he said this. We don't know, but I can see these things as time is progressing and time is marked there, that they come one at another. This, this statement, this is a game changer. That's the thing that he came for, really. He brought huge change. He knew that his suffering in the crucifixion had a purpose and had an end. Earlier in John 10, verse 18, he says of his life, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And these three words was what he received from the Father. It is finished it's done in those three words there's so, listen there's a lifetime in those three words for you and I there's not one thing you can do to make yourself righteous it is what he did right here it says he who knew no sin became sin for you that you might be the righteousness of Christ. It is finished. He's done it. 
If you've received Jesus, you're a righteous person today. Those three words sealed it. He changed everything with those three words. Everything for eternity were changed in three words. It is finished. He changed the world order. He changed the covenants. He changed how humanity would walk out the rest of humanity in three words. It is finished. And it brings up the last obedience. And I think it's incredible. His last words. Remember when he was praying earlier and said, where are you? Well, now he says something for you and I that changed our lives. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When I hear that now, I think of Romans 8 and Paul declaring to you and I, I tell you, and I am convinced of this, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In this single act of trust, he fulfilled. He did it. He made it happen. It is this glorious act of him committing himself into his father that his father is your father you know it's really interesting up until Jesus came and I want you to hear this this morning the word father is never directly used in reference to God there's five times in the rest of the Bible, in the Old Testament that it's used, but it's either symbolism to reflect something um, or it's a statement because they didn't use the name Father for God. You understand a little bit why it upset him so much when Jesus started talking about God the Father? They wouldn't even say his name. They wouldn't utter the name of God. Here comes Jesus. My father and I are one. Who does he make himself out to be? He made a way. By trusting the father right to the end, you can call on God as father. Some theologians say this, father is the Christian name for God. Now, we get so much out of all the other names that are really important. I'm not, don't, please, trust me here, I'm not preaching heresy. I'm not getting rid of any other name. I am is still I am. But here, this, and regarding the crucifixion, the relational aspect of what you have with God is because he said, Father, into your hands. And he opened up a door for you and I to have that relationship with God. 
we cry out in intimate terms to God now. Papa, some love to call him that. Father, so many prayers start out with Father. And we just kind of go through it. But it was at this point that that was given to us because he committed his spirit to the Lord, to the Father. And now as Paul Harvey would say, and then there's the rest of the story. Three days later, what happens? Life. And he becomes the firstborn. Here comes the relational piece again because it was all about relationship. He becomes the firstborn of many. Christ, if you will, is born again, died for you, rose for you so that you can be born again. Isn't it an incredible story? These statements that he gave us that we now have life because he lives. Would you take the bread? Just hold it in your hand and not because the bread is special. Just glance down on it. He delivered to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, He tells them on the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. When we take this today, we are remembering what he did for us, that he made the way. His body was broken so that we can have wholeness. Smashed to smithereens (laughs) so we could have healing. By his stripes we are healed. What a precious thing to remember, isn't it? Would you pray with me and let's pray over the bread first. Jesus, you're the bread of life. You've done it all. You won it. It's finished. This very bread helped open the doorway to eternity. And our communion is to be one with you. So we receive your body, remembering this morning everything that you did. We take it into ourselves again, and we put on Christ. We, we, we remember, we, we glory in it, we rejoice in it of what you did, this great sacrifice. And we say thank you and receive. says in like manner he took the cup now it probably wasn't a little thimble full that was a big cup incredible cup if you will the cup of blessing today because it represented his blood he called it the blood of his new covenant by his stripes we're healed By his blood, we're made new. We receive him. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So I want you to look down at the cup. Remember, 
remember every price that was needed to be paid, he paid. He bought it for you this morning. He did it. It's finished. You're one and you're whole. Listen, it's the truth and you don't need to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore because we received this. And with it, again, we say thank you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the blood of the new covenant. This which you did that turned that turned this person right side up, that gave us life and meaning and hope and future and eternity right into our beings. So we receive it again this morning, remembering what you've done. In Jesus' name. Ushers are going to come by with little baskets. Will you stand with me?